I want to talk about four views or four frameworks that exist for understanding and interpreting revelation. Now, we've already looked at Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and I hope that gives us a really good foundation because we're getting ready to dive into the mother of all end time books, which is Revelation. And so I'm super excited to get into Revelation. It's such a fascinating book. I think it is one of the most awesome books in the Bible, and I'm just super excited to get into it and to share um, some of the things that I've taken away from it. And like I've said before, my goal is not to convince you that I'm right. My goal is not to indoctrinate anyone. My goal is to simply present some ideas that you can take to the Lord and you can test them. As the scripture tells us, test everything and hold on to the good. So you can take these things, take them to the Lord, test them. And if anything is good, if anything resonates with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, then uh, keep it and be blessed. But before we get in to the meat of Revelation, I want to talk about four views or four frameworks that exist for understanding and interpreting Revelation. And it's interesting because these four views disagree with one another. So they're in conflict with each other, but they're not heretical. So all four of these views can be considered orthodox. They're not heresy, they're not heretical, but they don't agree with each other, which is great because it just shows, you know what, there's lots of room for humility as we study this and as we go through it. And there are really smart people uh, who embrace each of these interpretive frameworks. And each of them have reputable theologians who believe in them and stand behind them and support them. So there's plenty of room for humility as we come at this. So I don't think there's any need to get argumentative or too terribly upset with someone who doesn't see things my way or I don't see things their way, or to get to a place where we're promoting our own speculations rather than stewarding well the clear truths that we have from the scripture. So there's no need for these four views to divide the body of Christ. I think we're able to say, this is the way I understand it, and still respect people who understand it differently, realizing that there's room for that, especially when we're trying to understand a book as challenging as Revelation. And in a little while, we'll talk about why it's challenging to understand. But first of all, I just want to go kind of through these four frameworks. So the four frameworks that are orthodox for understanding Revelation are historicism, futurism, preterism, and idealism. And if you grew up in a church like I did, I didn't even know there was an alternative to understanding the book of Revelation until I was in my mid-30s. And the first time that someone suggested something different, I remember my heart just leapt, and the things that they were saying made so much sense that it really started this journey for me that has been really, really wonderful, really awesome journey of reading and, and learning and appreciating all of these views, but really settling on one that I feel like fits the whole narrative of Scripture. So I'd like to go through these together with you. Okay, so historicism. Historicism is the idea that the book of Revelation describes events unfolding on a historical timeline between the establishment of the church in the first century and the end of the world, whenever that may be. 
So this was the major belief held by the Protestant reformers. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, these were some of the, the leading guys. And they saw the Catholic Church as the Antichrist, and they were interpreting the book in terms of the historical events happening in their day and age, which is why it's called historicism. Um, now, because the current events are always changing, the historicist timeline is also always changing, and they're always lining up the book of Revelation with the current events. And that's I don't mean that as a criticism. That's just the way it is. Uh, Charles Wesley was a historicist, and he predicted the end of the world in 1794. His brother John Wesley later adopted a chronology that the millennium would actually begin in 1836, and then the devil would be released for another thousand years, and then Christ's final return would happen. And if you do a Wikipedia search for end of the world, they have a list of all the people who have predicted the end of the world and the date when they said it would end. And if you read through this list of predicted dates for the end of the world, it's actually got a handful of really well-respected theologians' names on there, including Martin Luther. And so I don't say that to ridicule them. It's just the fact that that just comes with the historicist perspective is putting the events in Revelation on a timeline. And I think the tendency is always for the generation that's doing the interpreting to think that they're at the very end of the timeline. Maybe that's just human nature. Maybe that's, you know, every generation thinks that they're the last generation. But it just appears that it's been the tendency of the historicists to think that their generation right now is the last one. So at times they thought it was Napoleon was the Antichrist, or later it was Mikhail Gorbachev in the Soviet Union, or whatever. And, and again, I'm not trying to ridicule that. They're just using their interpretive framework to interpret the book of Revelation according to the current events that are happening around them. So that's one perspective. The next view is futurism, and this is kind of the mainstream view of modern evangelicalism. Think the left-behind novels. That's this view. It interprets the book of Revelation as future events in a literal global context. The futurist view was initially proposed by a Jesuit priest named Francisco Ribera. And he proposed this futurist view to combat the assertions by the Protestant reformers that the Pope was the Antichrist. And so in 1585, this uh, Jesuit priest, Francisco Ribera, published a commentary. And in his commentary, he proposed the concept of an Antichrist as a single individual who would appear in the future. And he would rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and do all these other things. And a gentleman named John Nelson Darby, who was the founder of the Exclusive Brethren denomination, popularized this view, along with dispensationalism, which was also popularized by John Darby. And John Darby lived in the 1800s, and his teachings were included in the Schofield Reference Bible, which became very influential among American ministers. So that's how this view became the mainstream view of Protestant evangelical America, was through the Schofield Reference Bible, which was including uh, John Nelson Darby's views on eschatology. So if you grew up in an evangelical denomination or you watched any Christian television, this is most likely the view you've heard. And there are kind of three primary variations on it. 
pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, and post-tribulation rapture. But the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib rapture are all included in the framework of futurism. Okay, the third view is preterism. Now, this eschatological view interprets some or all of the prophecies in the Bible as events which have already happened. This framework was first systematically put forth by another Jesuit priest named Luis de Alcazar in 1614, and that was also in part to respond to the Protestant reformers. So there are two camps of preterism. One is partial and one is full. So partial preterists believe that the prophecies in Daniel, Matthew 24, and Revelation, with the exception of the last two or three chapters, have already been fulfilled in the first century AD. Full preterists, of which there are not many, believe that all Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. And full preterism would be considered beyond the scope of orthodoxy by most people. <laughs> so, so partial preterism, we would say, is an orthodox view that's still waiting for the resurrection of the dead and the return of Jesus. A full preterist would say there is no future return of Christ, and that is considered beyond the scope of orthodoxy. So for my purposes and in this podcast, whenever I talk about preterist, I'm talking about partial preterist. Some high-profile partial preterists would include R.C. Sproul, N.T. Wright, Hank Hanegraaff, and Kenneth Gentry. The preterist view is also held by the Presbyterian denomination. Okay, idealism. Idealism is a non-literal or allegorical approach that suggests all the imagery of Revelation is symbolic. It's supposed that during the Renaissance, Renaissance theologians offered this framework as an explanation for the now and not yet tension that we see in the kingdom of God. So there's part of the kingdom that we already have, and there's part of the kingdom that has not yet manifested. And this was put forth as a way of explaining that tension. This view has also been adopted by advocates of the quote-unquote social gospel, and they would interpret the symbols in Revelation, for example, the beast, as earthly injustices that the saints of God must overcome. So things like you know human trafficking or, or slavery or other injustices, social injustices, the symbols in Revelation represent these evil realities of this you know literal evil that's on the earth. And so this view does not expect the prophecies to be fulfilled in a literal sense, either on a historical timeline or in the future, except among some adherents to futurism who also believe in a second coming and a final judgment. But in general, the idealist perspective is that Revelation is an allegory of good versus evil for all Christians in all eras. Now, I don't sit on the board of any denomination or any theological training academy, and so I'm certainly not trying to set myself up as the final word on what is and what isn't orthodox. But from my perspective, I don't believe you can hold to any view that denies a future return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and still consider yourself an orthodox Christian. To me, these are core tenets of Christianity, the physical return of Jesus to the earth, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment of all humankind, and the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. So all of the views that include those things, I would affirm as orthodox, whether 
You know, you could be a, a historicist, a preterist, a futurist, or even an idealist. But if you affirm those things, I would say that that those are important core tenets of Christianity. And so, in my own journey, when I began studying eschatology, I actually went. Uh, I enrolled in a seminary for the purpose of trying to figure out a few key questions. And one of those questions was eschatology. And uh, unfortunately, the seminary never answered that question. But, <laughs> but I, you know, praise the Lord. That's okay. There's, you know, there's plenty of perhaps superior resources. Now is probably not the time on this. But you know, knowledge has gotten so accessible and so ubiquitous. These higher learning institutions are really uh, as much about selling a brand as they are selling information because. The information is available if you want to go and, and look for it. But anyway, I digress. That'll probably be cut out of the podcast. But when I started studying eschatology, I just wanted to figure out what the Word of God teaches. And of course, that's that's everyone's goal. And so I wouldn't say that someone else who's arrived at a different conclusion than I have that they don't want to know what the Word of God says. Of course, each perspective claims to be based in Scripture, and everyone's doing their best to faithfully understand and interpret the Word of God. But for myself, I've landed at the partial preterist view. To me, it fits very naturally in the overall narrative of Scripture, and I think it really encourages and motivates a life abandoned to see God's kingdom established on the earth through loving people, through serving people, So as we get ready to dive into Revelation, I just want you to know that ultimately what we're after is a greater love for Jesus and a greater obedience to Jesus and a greater abandonment to his purposes on the earth. And so you may hear some things that you've never heard before. These ideas may be new to you, but I believe the book of Revelation is going to open up to you in a way that you may have never seen before. And I know you are going to be blessed because the book even promises that in the introduction of the book, that we are blessed when we read the words of this prophecy. So this is going to bless you. As I've said all throughout, I'm not trying to convince you. You are powerful to reject this. You test everything and you hold on to the good. But I believe this is really going to bless you. So in our next episode, we're really going to dive into it. Here we go. Revelation. Revelation.